the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What makes Rose Cleaners the best in dry cleaning? They do my laundry the way I like it. The wonderful customer service. Personal quality. I have some things I like done with my clothes that I ask for, and it's always done. They do good work. I just love Rose Cleaners. Very excellent customer service, and uh, they've made me very happy since I've been here. They've got friendly employees when you walk in, and um, they haven't lost any of my clothes in 19 years. Rose Cleaners, serving San Antonio for over 20 years. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888 That's P.O. Box 18888 San Antonio, Texas 78218 Hi, I'm Eric Galindo Training Director for the FSI Training School For individuals and businesses we offer certification courses in CPR and First Aid through the American Heart Association and also the Vehicle Safety Inspector course for the Texas Department of Public Safety. Courses are available every week for your convenience. Call me, Eric, at 210-314-2615. That's 210-314-2615. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible, have fun, and win valuable prizes and resources for yourself, your family, your church, or favorite ministry. Here's how it works. Listen to the Bible Live Scripture Reading Program, weeknights at 8. Not a program about the Bible, the Bible itself. Hear a 15 to 20 minute reading each weeknight. The entire Bible every year. Then on Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So people ask questions from the past week's Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers, and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. All right, once more, we are with you. Thank you for joining us. We really do appreciate you being out there on a Sunday evening, joining us for the Bible Live, the quiz show. We're going to put out some questions tonight. We're going to, we, last week, we just barely got some questions in, didn't we, Jacob? We 
got to talking and, and uh, discussing and cussing and discussing, as they say, and we uh, just almost didn't get any questions in there. But I, we, we will get some questions in there this evening. I haven't given you your sheet yet, have I? Uh, yes, I've got it. Do, did I give it to you? Okay, Well, good. I had it from last week. All right. Well, here's a... This is by Second the Samuel 2.30 through uh, twenty one twenty two, right? All right, it is. Second uh, Samuel chapter 2 through chapter 21. Uh-huh. Uh, and so we are all in with the book of Second Samuel, the second... Um, it's all about Samuel tonight. Uh, I, I really have always liked Samuel. I think he's a great He's very person. fond of you. In the, yeah, he is kind of. Yes, he is. Yeah, even uh, not exactly, but kind of. <laughs> no, I think he likes you. Yeah, what, uh, yeah. what do they say? That, uh, oh, he's very fond of me. Uh, uh, I thought you said he was kind of like you. Well, I do kind of like him in a way because being an orphan, I always kind of looked at him as an interesting – because he, he wasn't an orphan, but he left his mom and dad real early, right, and went to work for Eli, went to live with Eli. What, at age seven or eight? How old was he? Uh, when he was weaned. When he was that early. So it must have been, what, like a year, year and a half? No, I think he was weaned till 17. Huh? <laughs> no, we won't go there. Uh, <laughs> well, anyway, Jacob is with me. We are here for you tonight. We're going to ask you questions from Psalms 61 through 65. And then we're going to put out some questions from Second Samuel chapter 2 through 21. And Jacob is all... A stir tonight. I'm, he I'm is. Twitter, I'm twitterpated. He's he's he's. Uh, I don't know, there's several words I guess we could use, but he's all excited tonight. He wants to give me. Uh, uh, it, it's all about this uh, road to Emmaus thing that we read about in the New Testament, and it's uh, remember on the road to Emmaus when Jesus appeared to these two disciples. Uh, we're given the names in one of the the man's name at least. Some people think it was a man and his wife. Cleopas. And uh, yeah, uh, Cleopas, something like that. Cleopas, yeah. Cleo, oh Cleo. Oh, Clay. And, and maybe his hey, wife. Clay, what you Clay. Do? Yeah, and and they were on the road to this little town called Emmaus, but Jacob thinks it may not have been like a little real little town, but a a play on a Hebrew word for faith, a road to faith, uh-huh. which is fine. I mean, I guess I could uh, listen to that. I'm not. Don't know what to do with it exactly, and, but it doesn't it does, matter in the it, sense. And I, and I could be wrong. Yeah, it's, it's. But I am an expert in my and own opinion. You're an opinion. expert in your own opinion, and I know that. So anyway, uh, but the idea is that uh, that uh, Jesus Yeshua met with them after his resurrection. Now, and he gave them the Bible study, the the mother of all Bible studies. Can we put it that way? Uh, and they went through the scriptures, the Old Testament, oh, uh, Moses, the books of the law, and the prophets, and he explained to them how they spoke now, about and you him, about so, Jesus. To me, what's so magical about that phrase, and I hate to use it magical, but I don't know what else to say. I don't mind magic. Okay, so he says, he's talking, walking on with these guys, he says, hey, it says he opens their minds. He tells them about, and he says... I, he opened his mind that all the scriptures are all about him. So here's my question. What is it that he was saying to them? I'd love to have been in on that Bible study. Well, I you would are like it. if you read the Tanakh, or all what right. you call the Old Testament. All right, because that's what he, uh, that was exactly. his text. Exactly. For today's text, in, exactly. in his classroom, he took only uh, the tonight, Hebrew scriptures. Because they didn't have the New Testament they did well. They, uh, they, yes, they did. Uh, the very story, the road to Emmaus, and, the, and their little journey there, and talking, 
this whole conversation, the whole incident is only found in the New Testament. So it's, but I, I get it. And you're going to talk to us tonight about possibly uh-huh. what did Jesus say? What what kind of things yes. did he tell them? Uh, now you've you've mentioned to me that well, the the question you gave me before the program was, how would anybody know that Jesus? Yes. Is indeed uh-huh. was indeed oh, the Messiah, you. the long-awaited uh, Messiah, the predicted promised Messiah, and uh, uh, you know, Son of God, and the things that go with. How would anyone know that right. that is true uh-huh. if you didn't have the New Testament? That's what you're saying, right? I have suggested. That. In fact, if I may be fair, and rather, uh, and I know some people I've heard actually sometimes didn't like me saying this, but I kept asking that question for the last two weeks. I can't How, imagine anybody not liking you saying anything. As difficult as it is for me, too. <laughs> yeah. I agree. Uh, but the, I'm wondering if... Uh, uh, that's a question I've asked for the last two weeks. Well, t- I knew we were coming up to Second Samuel. Okay. Second Samuel, I would like to share from a Jewish... Now, here's how I'm approaching it, so you know how I'm approaching it. Okay, okay. So if Jesus was talking to these fellows on the road to Emmaus, or Emunah, which is the Hebrew word. Uh-huh. Um, and he says, okay, listen, I'm going to tell you about all this stuff. So I said, okay, if he's telling them that, let's go back before that. Let's see what the ancient Jewish sages said about the Messiah, about the traits, the characteristics. What is that they knew even before Jesus was born? So in that sense, it's an ancient idea. Now, it is a little different. And I agree with you, it is a little different than uh, perhaps the modern Christian thinking, perhaps even the modern Jewish thinking. But if we go back through the history for over the last few thousand years and think what the Jews would think, I have, I select, I choose to think what he was explaining that would be consistent with how they were understanding what to look for. Okay, let me ask you one question, and we've got to put out some questions okay. here. All right. Is this what you're going to share then from the book of Second Samuel tonight? Is it a little bit of a continuation of what you said uh, in some ways uh, last week, maybe the week before? Because you were talking about this fifth evidence, this fifth source of evidence uh, for the Messiah. Now, well, I, I don't know if I ever used that term. No, I know you haven't. I'm, I'm trying to put it in kind of my words oh, here. Okay, okay. Because from from a Gentile, from a Typically, you know, sort of normal. Well, let's Gentile. call you a child of God. Okay, a child of God uh, who is not a Jew. <laughs> Would that be qualify me as a Gentile? You want to explain yourself, Soapy? <laughs> <laughs> a Gentile. Well, I, I'm not Jewish, I guess, oh. uh, either by. I was uh, going to say well, Lucy, but. Oh, I don't like this because I, I'm not Jewish genetically, uh, put it that way. Yeah. I don't have any particularly genetic or... Who told uh, you you had to be Jewish genetically? I know. Where I know, did you get I, that I idea? I know, but there is such a thing as a Jewish person who is Jewish genetically. I mean, that they, they are... It, it is a... It is a... Not a national... Well, there's a nationality as well, but it's also uh-huh. a... It is a, a Jewish... You descend from Abraham and, and, and you know Isaac and Jacob and down through the lineage of, of them. So, uh-huh. in other words, I'm not that. I, I am a Jew in the sense that I have bought, religiously I've bought into the Jewish uh, understanding of the world. I, yeah. I worship and Jehovah. You were, 
I read and the Testament. And in your religious view, in your theology, Jesus the Jew died for your sins, and therefore yeah, yeah. he brought you and, into and the nation Jesus. of Israel, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, brought me into. Yeah, I worship Jehovah. I am. Uh, I believe the Bible to be God's word. You know, the book, the Tanakh, the books of the law, the prophets. Uh, the I'm saying the, the and, and uh, the Jewish Messiah. So uh, in every way. I think, if you kind of back away from the religious things and get away from the shock of it, I think I would be considered to be a Jewish. I, I bought into the Jewish revelation, the Jewish worldview, and, and following uh, Yeshua as the long-awaited promised Messiah. So <laughs> most of us, um, we classically think what brought me to faith in, in Yeshua was that I looked at the prophecies, the predictions uh, that are uh, in the Old Testament, the Tanakh, over 300, they say, over 300 predictions and pictures or um, predi- qualities uh, of the Messiah in his life. Okay, 300 prophecies, over 300. So I've looked at those. I considered them. I considered the odds and the probabilities of them being fulfilled. And the evens. And the evens. The odds and the evens. Yes. Okay. So then, uh, that's prob- then I looked at his life itself. His birth, his life, what I know, what we see of it. Of course, this is part of the New Testament revelation. Histori- what do we know about him, this man, how he lived, what was his character, what was he like? So I looked at that. And I thought, is that consistent with the idea of, uh, of, the, of the Messiah? Of, uh, if God became a man, would he be like that man? Is that conceivable? Is that consistent? Is it even plausible? And my conclusion was, yeah, I, I think it would be. Secondly, uh, thirdly, I looked at his death, his resurrection, which is rather unusual. Uh, and so I looked at the situation, the historic evidence for what happened to the body of that first century Jew- Jewish rabbi. And so I'm, I'm tracking, I'm looking at the different theories. I'm wondering, did he indeed? What happened? Okay, so I looked at that. And then fourthly, I looked at the, the changed lives of his followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys that were mainly Jewish followers. Uh, I'm talking about his 12 disciples, uh, you know, the 11 after Ju- uh, Judas Iscariot. I'm talking about the disciples. I'm talking about the first century believers, those that followed uh, Jesus and so on. And kind of the history of tracking the change. These people, how their lives were transformed and changed. Uh, for the, they would say, I don't know, many of them died martyrs' deaths, but they would, they died willingly and they died happily, affirming that Jesus was the Messiah, their Savior, uh, and their Lord. And so, I look at these lives all the way down to, to the present day. Uh, there was a guy whose life was changed, that influenced me to give my life to Christ. I've told the story many times about this, 16 year old boy that was a hoodlum in a, in a, in a ne'er do well. Uh, and his life changed right in front of me. I was raised in an orphanage, and I watched his life change, yeah. and it and it impressed me. It imp- impacted me that I, wow. And that's good. No, no so those are my yeah, plans. No way. No You're way. You're going to add I, another. Yeah, do I demean that? No way. I know. I know. But I am saying, let's go back to those day, thrilling days of yesteryear. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, sir. Yeah, and I, I, I realize I probably should not have said that because you know, Tonto may be your hero. Oh, anyway, but, uh, he is. Okay, he is. but here's the point. So let's go back at that time. So let's say Jesus is walking around. And uh, if you don't know what to look for, okay. are you going to be led just by miracles? <laughs> well, may I say, Jesus himself says, hey, don't rely on miracles. That's what he says, yeah. So 
what is it that we're supposed to look at? Now, certainly, I got you. Then later on, you got the New Testament written. You got this. and, uh, and By Christ- Jews, by the way. I mean, by Jewish men and women in the main. Well, not just in the main, but maybe also in Texas. <laughs> but uh, Luke wasn't a Jew, but then uh, the rest of them well, all were Jews. Okay. Okay. But the point is, how at that time period, what would they have understood to look for? Now, what I want to suggest is that tonight, and I knew it last two weeks, I've been mentioning, how would you know? I've been kind of, that's kind of a setup for what Second Samuel talks about tonight. And there is something mm-hmm. and things about David that we will learn of certain characteristics. Like if God was going to put, let's say, as I explain it, a characteristic, a trait, into the world that we should look for in the Messiah, what, how would he get those? Would he just make them appear invisibly and we all get a feeling? Or would he have a person in the story come and exemplify those traits? So we start making a list, an identification of those traits. Not just one and, person, but a whole people group, right? Well, well, well we, don't have to, we don't have to play marshmallow here. We can say the Jews. Okay. And so the story is But you is said telling, a person. I thought you maybe were just talking about David. Uh, no. As a matter of fact, I will just tell you that everything in, is understood Everything on earth, and this actually says this in the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, Mm -hmm. everything on earth is a shadow of what's in heaven. Mm -hmm. You recall in the book of, in the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, the book of Hebrews, there's something about the ark is a shadow, the laws are a shadow, Mm -hmm. it says all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So if that's the case, then what are we looking at physically to see what is the shadow? Though it feels like substance to us, mm-hmm, what mm-hmm. is the shadow of what's really going on in heaven? I'm excited about this because I, I really, I honestly think when I, I when I heard you say this even the first time, I thought, well, you know, there that is really, there's something to that, and and so this is a little bit of a continuation, if I understand correctly, Jacob, that uh, another besides those four kind of traditional views that how I believe the 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 evidence for uh, the fact that Jesus uh, would be the Messiah you would add a fifth one and say that it would be revealed in to some degree the character and the work of Messiah would be revealed through God's dealings with Israel as we see Israel died and was resurrected you know uh, twice you know, in a Babylonian and then the Roman uh, they went away and then came back. Uh, you, you, I mean, in other words, and through the kings and through their history, their experiences, you, you were saying that that's another way that. that well, that, so that's not nice just sort of a another way. That idea. That's a Jewish way. Uh huh. And so when I read that thing that you quoted about Road to Emmaus, uh huh. I'm a nah if that's what it is. Uh, then I say, well, what would he have been explaining? Well, those yeah. things he's referencing. Moses and the prophets, yeah, right. well, and that was long before he came along. Yeah, right. So I said, let's go back and let's look at what ancient Jewish sages actually say what's there. Yeah. So when I go back, way back, and look at that stuff, like tonight, King David. All right. Now, at a surface... From Second Samuel, as we're looking from at From Second yeah. Samuel tonight. So you go back and you look at King David. And you think, on the surface, he seems like not such a good guy. He does some bad things. I think we could agree, right? Yeah. But if you are limited to reading that and not understanding the larger, may I say, Jewish historical lesson, then you mess a trait, a characteristic the Messiah should exemplify. This is why not it, David is also not just a, a model 
he's also in the line, the genealogy of Jesus in the New Testament. So there's something going on here about David that's not just, oh, well, he had Bathsheba killed. Okay, he did some bad things. No, he didn't have Bathsheba killed. He had I said, Uriah killed. Uriah killed, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so we got all this stuff going on. But tonight, I'm going to suggest there are things deeper. And when you stop and think about it, you say, well, David did do that. And it's not just about an action he did. Now, David was not the Messiah. David did have the things you might say a Messiah might do. But I will tell you, in the history of Israel, just so you know, and I don't have to keep harping on this, but there are se- supposedly the history of seven shepherds. Shepherds would be somebody that watches over the nation of Israel. One, of course, would be David. The other would be uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Aaron, and Joseph. Now, just out of those seven, but we'll concentrate on David. Not Daniel. Just curious. No, not Daniel. Okay. But so I, we've satisfied your curiosity. And, and as interesting as that was, going back to the topic. All right. <laughs> the, well, it's just uh, the shortest, briefest of interruptions. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, uh, anyway, so but tonight, David, what is it? If you read these stories, you think, oh, man, David is a bad guy. Now, if you read it for that, you will get that. But if you read it to what's deeper going on, for example, may I just give a quick 30-second example? Okay. All right. David, right from the beginning, what do we know about his life? He wasn't really incorporated and brought in with all of his brothers. In fact, he was left out. Where was he? Out in the fields, keeping the sheep. Taking care of the sheep, exactly. So we learned something. The sheep, oh, this guy, this Messiah's going to come along. He's going to be out there taking care of some sheep or something. Now, what does he do? When he finally shows up, what's his first words? He doesn't go out and say, hey, I have come to fix this. Mm-hmm. He, instead, he demeans himself, lessens himself, and talks about God. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that blossoms God? Mm-hmm. Okay, so now we're learning something about the characteristic of David, huh? And so now we start learning things that we should be expecting in the exemplified, the exemplar of the Messiah. You see? You get my idea? I do, I do get the idea. And I guess you're saying that you said Jacob was not the Messiah. I mean, David is not the Messiah. No. And you meant that in the in the big the big M capital M Messiah that he's not that one. The, but is he? Does he figure among those? You've told me before that in a way there were a lot of messiahs with with not a capital M but with a little M. In other words, they came along and they saved Israel at a given moment. And each one of them was a Messiah in a sense. Was a sense. Moses, do we get anything from the lesson of Moses? Yeah. He goes into the land of sin. By the way, Egypt in Hebrew is Mitzrayim, uh-huh. which means boundaries, limitations. Limitations of what? Sin. They had gods. They had foreign gods. Foreign gods' laws. They had slavery. False gods. And yes, what so. did the God do with, let's call him Moses a, a Messiah? They took them out of sin. You rescued these okay, people. Okay, sure. Okay, that's more than sure. that. They took them out of sin. And if you don't know that Egypt means sin, you're kind of messing a little bit of the idea. So he leads them through the wilderness. Mm-hmm. That leading through the wilderness, I'm going to suggest, is us. You and me going through this world is going through the wilderness. And when we arrive, where do we arrive? We arrive to the picture of Israel, which is on earth, your heavenly picture of heaven. Okay. Now, what's supposed to be the done? The promised land. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what you got is you've got the idea that where God's are supposed to be done? In Israel. That's right. So what is done in heaven? 
Well, all God's laws. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to suggest if a person doesn't get the idea of Israel, they cannot get the idea of the land of Israel I refer to. You cannot get the idea of uh, heaven. So, all right, I, anyway. I, I get it. I, I don't. Everything I'm tracking and I'm growing and I'm learning. I think that those are, and I'm looking forward to what you have to say. Let's put out a couple of questions. Okay, let's do that. One lesson of Psalm 62. I'm going to go to Psalm 62 here is to wait patiently or quietly on the Lord. After Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel, uh, that, of course we've read about that here in First and Second Samuel, after Samuel anointed David to be king of Israel, how long did David have to wait to be crowned king of all Israel? So we have David in Psalm 62, this psalm that he wrote, uh, admonishing people, encouraging people to learn how to wait patiently on the Lord, well, he wasn't just speaking in a vacuum. He had had to, he had had to exercise that patience was, himself. Was that a Hoover or a Kirby? <laughs> in a vacuum. In a vacuum. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lord! How long did David? I like the shark. It works really well. Yes. How long did David wait to be crowned king of all Israel? Okay, how many years? And I, I'll tell you what, if you answer that question, it's a, it's a number of years. I'll give you five guesses, and we'll give you a high-low. If you say 10, you know, I'm, I'm, I might say well, higher. If you say uh, 98, I might say, oh, lower. You know, So I'll give you five guesses that way and let you guess how many years did David have to wait for that promise. God promised him he's going to be the king of Israel through, through Samuel, and, but, he's, but he had to wait patiently on the Lord. Uh, so how many years did he have to wait? In many of David's psalms, it says he claims to God, he com- complains, I'm sorry, uh, he complains, una queja, ¿verdad? He complains, to God, <laughs> a little Espanol for you, he complains to God and asks for protection from enemies that betray him and conspire against him. Name two people who wrongly attacked David. Name just two people. See, in other words, David, when he wrote his psalms, he wouldn't talk about theory or just you know theology and doctrine. He was talking out of his own life experience. And I want you to name two people who wrongly attacked David during his life. You got a question or two from Second Samuel? I do. Would you like them now? Please. Okay. There's one that I really think deserves some discussion. Okay. You're number two. All right. Before David would negotiate peace with Abner and Ishbosheth. He made what demand? And you'll find the answer in 2 Samuel 3, 13 to 16. Before he would negotiate peace with Abner and Ishbosheth, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, give it a context, uh-huh. he made a demand. And a very interesting, I think, uh, demand having to do with, uh, I guess, his family life. Well, we don't have time. We've got to get back. Well, that's one question. You can give us a call, 340 340- Ninety-five. And people can call in and ask other questions that that, yeah. that they have. I know. You, have right? to, you can not only answer questions, you can ask them. Three four zero We'll be right back. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family, that's Suzanne and me plus our three children, for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. 
Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. I want you to meet my friends at the Laptop Specialist. Pioneers since 1982 in serving the military, business, and personal computing needs of our city. Our ministry depends a lot on our computers. And whether it's repairs, service, upgrades, or even the purchase of a new machine, the James family and their great staff keep our equipment working, freeing us to do what we're called to do. Go to thelaptopspecialist.net or call 344-4563. 344-4563 for their two locations. The Laptop Specialist. Well, Elizabeth and I went to Mixed Rest Lube, and our experience was fabulous. We got in and out of there in literally 20 minutes. When we went to when we had got our oil done before, it could take us two hours. The service was very friendly. You can really trust them. They were super courteous. They vacuumed out the entire front of the car, which was surprising. Very I didn't expect nice. to receive that kind of service. And their name is their game. Express Lube is accurate for the name of their store. And with 23 stores, there's an Express Lube near you. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning process? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor. Carpet cleaning for the 21st century. 831-3535. Thanks for listening. This is Michael Youssef. I'm Alistair Dead. This is Chuck Swindoll. Hi, Steve Brown of Key Life. This is John MacArthur with Grace to You. This is R.C. Sproul. This is Chuck Colson. Hello, everyone. This is James Dobson. Hi, this is Bob Lapine from Family Life Today with Dennis Rainey. You're listening to The Word in South Texas. AM 630. AM 630. AM 
and Psalms 61 through 65. So uh, you can, that's where we're getting the questions. That's how we're kind of organized. To the degree we're organized, that's uh, that's how it works. All right, Jacob, you were giving yes. us some questions from the uh-huh. book of Second Samuel. Right. Which ones did you, you mention number two? Yes. Before David uh-huh. <clears throat> would, this is now, <clears throat> following the history of uh, David is, um, he has, is he already at this point, he is the leader of Judah, right? Of his own tribe. Yes. But he's not been crowned or declared ruler and king over all of Israel. Right. Um, just the just the tribes of Benjamin and Judah down in, in the south. And and uh, they've had this conflict. Saul has been trying to kill him. But Saul was killed in this particular uh, battle we talked about last week. And <clears throat> so now the... The competition, the battle is on to find out who's going to be the king now to replace Saul. <clears throat> and so Saul's son Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth uh-huh. uh, is up there trying to be the king of of Israel in the north, the ten tribes of the north. Uh-huh. And uh, we, we'll see this worked out and so on. And the competition is between David and Ishbosheth. And uh, Abner <clears throat> was the general of the armies of Saul. And so Abner is trying to kind of negotiate behind the back of Ishbosheth. He's negotiating with David uh, to say, you know, we'll make you king. But uh, in other words, Abner is kind of looking out for himself as well. He wants to be uh, he wants to be the general. He wants to be commander of David's armies. Uh, am I giving away too much information? No, okay. Uh, I, I, so I that's where the question. Enough, okay, right. that's where this question comes from. Is um, uh, before David would negotiate peace with Abner and Ishbosheth, he made one demand, and uh, it's found in Second Samuel chapter three, verses thirteen through sixteen, and it has to do with uh, David's uh, uh, family life. With you know, remember David has David already married Abigail at this point? Uh, Abigail, Abigail, no, he hasn't. So he's got Michal. Oh, is that right? Oh, oh, did oh, oh shh, you didn't say that. No, I didn't I did. hear you. Forget I didn't that. hear you say no, it at all. No, I didn't. No. Okay, I, I think he's already married Abigail. Well, okay, let's we'll say he has. <laughs> Come on, work with me here. Uh, I, oh. I am. I'm trying to move you along. <laughs> <laughs> Don't want to sink on the same ship, right? Okay, here we go. Oh, so David was trying to. What did? He, what demand did he make in Second Samuel three? Verses 13 through 16. It's an interesting. And you got to tell him what he paid for his so-called bride price? Oh, yeah. Well, we can uh, tell him about it. He, yeah, you can. He, he paid for this yeah. this thing he's negotiating yeah. for. Yeah. He paid for it dearly, I would say, or I think 200 other people paid for it fairly dearly. Right, no. Uh, but he paid for it, but it was taken from him, and he wants it returned. So yeah. what is it? Uh, and then was there another question you yeah, had? Yeah, I have another one if you'd like. All right. Okay. I like your number seven. Uh, who was the prophet through whom the Lord spoke to David? Both messages of encouragement and judgment. Answer, Second Samuel 7, 2. Yeah, I like, I like that story. I like this individual. It kind of, uh, to me, it kind of epitomizes the function of these prophets. Now, Samuel is a transition personality well, actually, in the Bible. He's, he is known as the, he's, he's a prophet, I'll give you that. But he is known as the greatest judge that ever lived. Because you've got to remember that Samuel is taking place during, we've been reading Judges, yeah. we've been reading, uh, what was it, Ruth? 
Okay, we've been reading that. Samuel was a contemporary of, uh, uh-huh. of uh, Samson, right? He was. And listen. The last he, of the 12 he is judges. a judge. So we got all these things, these guys in the book of Judges, but we got Samuel. Okay. He's the greatest judge. A prophet too, but a judge. So he's transitioning from the time of the judges uh-huh. to the time of the kings. Uh-huh. He, uh, he anoints the first king of Israel, Saul. And he's transitioning from the time of the emphasis on the priesthood. He himself is not a, a Levite. <clears throat> I don't guess, right? His parents weren't uh, Levites, were no, they? I don't think so. No, I don't believe so. Uh, he, of course, he worked as a servant in in, uh, in the in the tabernacle with with uh, Eli, but uh, he is a transition person from the time. Maybe it isn't that the high priest has done away with, but we move now to begin to emphasize the prophets. The role of these brave, courageous souls who would stand up and shake their bony finger in the face of the king or confront the people courageously and, and, and condemn them for their sin and call them to repent and turn back to the Lord and often paid a dear, dear price for their courage and for their commitment to the Lord uh, to be a prophet of the Lord. Well, so this is a whole bunch of phony ones. Too. <clears throat> there, there were. There were. And so your job, should you accept it, uh, Mr. So-and-so? Okay. How do you know to tell the difference between a real one and a false one? Is this related to your other question uh-huh, about the Messiah? Yes, uh-huh. Okay, all right. Oh, good deal, good deal. I'm on a, I'm on the rat track here. Yeah. I'm, 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 I'm seeing your point. Okay, who was the prophet through whom the Lord spoke to David? Uh-huh. Both messages of encouragement and at times of judgment and condemnation gave guidance to King David. Who was this prophet? There were several. But uh, I'm talking about Second Samuel chapter seven, verse two. Particularly in this time of of a failure and difficulty that David goes through, this prophet uh, confronts him and talks to him and gives him guidance. Who was this uh, okay. this main let's, prophet? Let's do one more, may we? Who was David's main man? Right. Oh, well, that's the idea. Well, yeah, yeah. That's <clears throat> another one. Sure, I'm 14, I'm up look, for another number one. Number fourteen and fifteen of your questions are so. Close. That's two more. Well, I'm going to combine them to one. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 14 is, what story did the prophet tell to make David see the wickedness of sin? And going on with that, how did David respond when God, through this prophet, pointed out his sin? All right. You see how they fit together? They sure do. And uh, so we want to know who was this prophet, and then we want to know uh, what story. He didn't, uh, just, uh, he didn't just confront directly. He told a story and kind of almost, in a way, trapped David, right? And, you know, this is going to be very, I think it's going to be very um, telling, very informative to a lot of our listeners, because when they hear the story of David and this great sin that he committed and so on, we often don't give it a timeline. We often, people don't often understand what was the time period during which all of these things took place. And uh, I think tonight that should come out of our discussion, right? Well, and I am just ready to go if somebody will call. Okay, 340-9585 if you'd like to answer any of those questions. 340-9585, and we'll pick it up, give you a chance to answer the question, and uh, maybe just have a little discussion with you about uh, about it, about the background, maybe some of your viewpoints about it. Or you can call in with any kind of comment on your mind and heart or a question about the Scriptures about what it means to know and follow the the God of uh, the God of the Scriptures, we would be love to talk with you in, about that as well. And so, give us a call three four zero ninety five eighty five. You'd like to join us now? Shall we jump over in the meanwhile while people are yeah, <clears throat> yeah. wondering? Should I call? Should I not call? Yeah, yeah. 
<coughs> I'm sorry. Should we talk a little bit about this point that you want to make about sure. uh, from Emmaus? And that, uh, bring okay. me back into that discussion. Uh, yeah, because, you know, as we study in that uh, Jesus walking after his resurrection, he's walking along and it says road to Emmaus. I personally, as I said, I think it's the Hebrew word emunah, which is faith. But he starts, it says he opens their minds and he explains scriptures to them. Okay. So, what would he be explaining? Well, all the stuff he has to be explaining has to be before he was born. Right. So we go back and we start looking. What was the Jewish understanding way back then? And and I'd like to, and I, let's concentrate on David. Because remember what David, the first, as I said at the beginning, we first see David. He's left at home. What is he guarding? Sheep. Uh-huh. And he's not really regarded highly by his family because he is left at home. In fact, David later... Well, he is the youngest, right? He is the youngest. Well, and how does he guard the sheep? And what does he later say? I killed a wolf. I killed a bear. I guarded the sheep. And David writes a psalm later. It says, though my mother and father has forsaken me. Now, there's something going on here that we need to start learning about. Hmm. I've always liked that verse uh-huh. because being an orphan again, I kind of related to it. Yeah. But I never took it personally that. Did David, did David feel that same way, that his mom and dad in some way had forsaken him? Um, I thought, who was his dad? Um, Jesse's what Jesse. Jesse. Jesse's what I'm looking for there. Uh, yeah. So Jesse in some way or other didn't, uh, I, I don't understand. How would he say that his mother and father for, uh, had rejected him? Well, so? was he taken and treated like the other brothers? <laughs> no, he was kind of brought in as an afterthought, right? Well, and there are a the lot prophet of, had to ask, "Do you have other children?" Didn't exactly. He? So he wasn't really included. So we're starting to pick up some kind of a lesson here, aren't we? Uh huh. Now, what's interesting is, and I'd like to just really read something. When David shows up and he first shows up, he doesn't go out and face Goliath, the bad guy, and say, "Hey, I'm here." Dot dot dot. Right. He says, Second uh, Samuel, chapter seventeen, and this reads. Listen to this. He goes out. And David says to Goliath. You come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you with the name of God. On this day, God will deliver you into my hand, and the whole earth will know that there is a God in Israel. All the assembly will know through the sword and spear does God grant salvation. Look at the first thing David does. When he's taken from just guarding the sheep, he faces Goliath, and he doesn't talk about himself. He talks right. about, and he says it, and he says, all the world will know there's a God in Israel. He starts talking about God right away. So we're starting to learn something. If he's a picture, an ancestor, shall we say, uh, of Jesus or the Messiah, then we're getting some trait that we should start looking for, that the guy considers God more than himself. Aha, so we're starting to learn something. What does he do? He's been guarding sheep. And what's really going on, uh, is there somebody in line? And, and he doesn't seem to be particularly, he doesn't seem to be particularly, uh, what's the word, I'm, okay. ambitious or self-promoting. Uh-huh. Right. Well, we're, we're going to explore that in just a minute, but I don't want to lose poor Mike. <clears throat> okay, let's go and bring Mike up on the telephone. Hi, Mike. How are you tonight? Oh, good, Sophie. Hi, Jacob. Hey. Um, there, there was something that really impressed me about David. Um, uh, from the time Samuel anointed him to the time he became king was 25 years. And so the, uh, his patience, um, was, has, has helped me, um, uh, to be patient. 
And uh, I just was so impressed with that attribute and his his reverence for what is holy and is. Well, anyway, and whatever uh, whatever Jacob's and, and yourself somebody have to say, I I would love to hear it. That was a great answer to the question. Uh, because uh, David later admonishes one of the things that in a number of his psalms, David admonishes people to wait patiently on the Lord. And if, one thing we definitely learn is that David did have to wait. He received this. Uh, he was anointed by Samuel, perhaps when he was a teenager, 12 to 14 years of age. And he had to wait 25 years, as, as uh, Mike just told us, 25 years before that promise came to fruition, and he was crowned king over all the the uh, twelve tribes of Israel. Now he got it exactly right. Proud of you, Mike. That's great. Oh, thank you. So he wasn't just talking in a vacuum. He, uh, <clears throat> as Jacob is explaining even now about the quality and the character of David's life, there was something in him that pointed to uh, as well to the role and life of the Messiah. I was talking to some... Thanks, Mike, for calling. Keep listening, all right? I want you to hear uh, okay. uh, what Jacob is going to share with us. Mike, I wanted to say something to Mike. Okay. Is, are Mike, are you still there? No, no I think Mike... Not, but it's okay. <clears throat> I just so, want you to feel bad, Soapy. <clears throat> I do. I feel dutifully and appropriately bad. But... I was uh, talking to some people this morning. In spite of that, you'll march on. I'll right. march on. I'll struggle on. Yeah. I was. What was I talking about? Oh, I was talking to some folks today even about um, <clears throat> even in the life of Messiah. Uh-huh. Jesus learned quite early, was told who he was, his background, mm-hmm. that he was promised that he was indeed that long-awaited, predicted uh, Messiah of Israel. And I'm surely his mom and dad told him this as he's six years old, eight years old, nine years old. They told him about Bethlehem. They told him about the flight into Egypt, coming back, living in Nazareth. They told him about these. And they said, you know, the angel Gabriel came and and he told us that you were going to be you're the Messiah and that we should call your name Yeshua. And so on, so on, so on. So David. uh, So Jesus comes early, at least by age 12. He has this sense a clear sense that we see in the story of his bar mitzvah when he went to Jerusalem that he knew I must be about my father's business. Okay, right there. Okay. Hold, that, hold that line. But say, he had to say, wait. No, he had to wait that for 18 line, more no, years. Say that line again. <clears throat> he said, I must be about my father's business. Ah, do you see any similarity between that and what I just read about, about David. David? Well, not that particular. What I was oh, going to point out is okay. the similarity is he had to wait. He had to wait 18 oh, years. I see. To, I, I, I was pointing out another similarity. Ah, exactly. He had to wait right to, ahead. To, to, <laughs> I'm barreling ahead with my point <laughs> here. So, so I, I'm guessing out of that quality we saw in the life uh-huh. of David, he, Yeshua had to wait uh-huh. to to for the God to show him the time to begin to launch his ministry to present himself to Israel uh, as Messiah and to you know his to. Present himself and, and to be accepted or rejected, whatever. So, what were you going to say then? What, well, no, uh, I like your idea that there's a time period between. Yeah, it's uh, a little point of the way. You know. uh, when he became king and Jesus when he went to the temple. But I was going to say, was not David when he said to Goliath, so the whole world and Goliath and the assembly would see, wasn't he really saying, I am about my father's business? 
Well, yes, he was. Well, <laughs> he was all about his father. About, and, and we're talking now, about, not traits. about Jesse, but we're yeah, talking well, about th- God. That's what I really want to illustrate. We've learned some traits. And the answer to the question I've been asking you for the last couple of weeks, and I knew we were coming up to Second Samuel, and David is one of our primary characters. And we learn about characteristics that the Messiah should exemplify, as the exemplar are, that what kind of characteristics, if a guy shows up and says, hey, I'm the Messiah, well, he is or he isn't. If he's a prophet, he is or he isn't. But how do you tell? And you don't have the benefit of the New Testament, so how do you tell? So you have to have been taught what type of, shall we say, characteristics or traits that all the Israel as a nation that died, that came back. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of things about David? Now, I know there's another question coming up. By the way, uh, do you know what the name Ishbosheth means? Ah, no, uh, I just barely learned how to pronounce it. Uh, I don't well, know what it means. It actually believes it's an Ishbosheth. adaptation, and it means technically man of shame, but his that was his changed name. Okay. His original name comes first from First Chronicles 8.33, and it was Ish-Baal. Oh, okay. I guess in English you'd call him Baal. Uh-huh. Now, I want you, who names their children? Parents, Saul. Ah, so you got Saul naming his child after a different god. Is this odd to you? Mm, something, uh-huh. something now here's my. That's what I was going to ask Mike before he, shall we say, disappeared. Oh, I did. Uh, I was going to say to win Mark. Mike, how is it that Saul? I'm uh, sorry, Samuel uh, anointed Saul first. Later, he did David. But did Saul make a mistake? Oh, is there something wrong? Did God make a mistake? How? Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, are you mixing up words there? You said Saul anointed somebody? No, I said Samuel. Okay, you meant Sam- Samuel. Yes, I did. Thank you <laughs> if I made a mistake for allowing okay. me to be correct. Samuel anointed Saul, right? Uh, that is true. And you're saying why? What would okay, you first he anointed Saul. We agree. Yeah. Later? It was taken from Saul. He anointed David, right? I was always wonder, I've always wondered, was that a mistake, or was oh, that just did, part did, of the plan? Who would have made the mistake? Let's try that one first. Was it Samuel mm, or God? It must have been God, right? Uh, well, I don't know. I'm asking I you. I mean, I'm not saying God made a mistake, but there might have been a purpose and uh-huh. a reason for it. I was going to ask you that. Okay, if, if all of these... If all of these pictures of Messiah come from the life and the times and the history and, and the characteristics of Israel in the big picture, but also there are certain individuals that seem to picture and characterize the work of Messiah that we could look at, how do you choose which ones? In other words, you talked about David. We talk about Moses being a, a Messiah, a type of, or a picture of, an example of. You talked about, uh, you said, uh, jo- uh, Joseph mm-hmm. uh, and so on. How do you, why wasn't Saul, for example, uh, a picture of of uh, how Messiah would be? David, in his zeal for the Lord, in his zeal for God and his kingdom and, and so on, you pointed out, that was a picture of Later on, we see Jesus saying, don't you know I must be about my father's business? So I see the relationship, but the question occurred to me, do we just pick and select at our own choice? No. How do you know to choose David instead of Saul? This is what I was hoping to kind of share. Okay. In the Jewish world, it's just not a matter of my personal interpretation. You have to look and you discuss with all the sages. And I'll have to give you an example. In the Jewish scriptures, it says, so-and-so, like even Lot, sat in the gates. The term sat in the gates means he was not sitting alone. He's sitting in a committee of 
council people, mm -hmm. of people that had joint wisdom that could all help guide each other together. That's what the term in the gates mean. It's kind of the, the idea of that era was kind of like City Hall, right? That was in the, yeah, in the council of the leadership. But, but also judges. All right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now that's really, if you want to know the truth, that's one of the basic differences between what we call the Judeo-Christian God and, let's say, the Islamic God. Okay. The Islamic God, a guy gets to make his own judgment in his own house when somebody something has happened. He makes his decision, right or wrong. Mostly would say probably wrong. But that's not allowed in what we call the Old Testament. And it's really not allowed in the New Testament, the Christian Scripture. Would that be what we call the difference between... Um, this is a little bit hard. I guess it is a little complicated. That uh, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition, in other words, relies heavily upon revelation. In other words, God steps into time and space. He speaks. He acts. He well, reveals his character through his dealings with humanity, with people. That is very important. I That's think a characteristic actually, of both, I, I, right? I can't diminish that, but I think, it, I think the emphasis, not the quality of what you're saying, but the emphasis by different people may be put on a different idea. All right. The emphasis, I think, in the Christian world is much more important on that. See, in the Jewish thought, they have the laws of God. So you may have to have inspiration, insight, and Well, God did step into time and space well, okay. at Mount Sinai well, to reveal Sinai. this, okay. and he called it Moses. And yeah. so but you don't have to wait for an inspiration. You kind of know what's right and wrong because God told you. No, I didn't say inspiration. I said revelation. Okay, well, we don't have to wait we for that. We count on God, the okay. true and living God, to... But that's all for... We believe it was really God, was God yeah. talking right. to but Moses. What I'm, what I'm always frightened of, the cards on the table, uh -huh. is I'm afraid of people that have their own revelation, their inspiration, and God's talking to me. Sure. Now, I always am very fearful of that, because when I hear most people say God's talking to them, I also notice that what he's saying is evidently not what's written in the Bible. Well, but isn't that why you emphasize the fact that when God spoke to Moses, that he was also in the presence of two million people? Ah, isn't nah, that? Yes. Okay. So uh, you see, what have you got there? You got the whole council. Now, thank you for bringing that up. It wasn't just look. If if Jewish thought just had Abraham or Moses, you realize we'd have the same problem as every other religion. Sure. There'd be one guy, but it was not allowed. What makes a difference is that all the people there's between two and a half and three million people at Mount Sinai. Now they all kind of heard it. Okay? There's different points on how much they heard, that kind of thing. But they heard. Uh -huh. Now, here's the point. That's a, that's a committee. You might say, in the gates, you might say. Now, here's... And I, and I could say... <laughs> well, so, a large committee, but okay, okay. Okay, but the point is, you see, this is what's going on with these prophets in the second Samuel and David. Well, let's say a prophet, and I don't want to give away one of the questions, but I'm afraid we may. Let's okay. suppose that uh, one of the prophets comes and say, Hey, David, you know what? There's a guy in your land that did, took this little tiny sheep from one. That's the only sheep that guy had. And if I'll, and I'll sum it up by saying David was so angry, he jumped off his throne and says, Who is he? I'll kill him myself. So there's a guy in your oh, well, Go ahead and tell the story. We'll, we'll tell the answer. Well, we'll you tell, put you on tell the story, then I'll tell my take. <clears throat> Nathan went to the prophet Nathan. That's the one we've been talking about here. That's the answer to our question. Mm -hmm. Nathan goes to David, and instead of saying, hey, you wicked old guy, you did this terrible thing, he tells him this story. He says there's this poor guy, a uh, humble fellow. He only has one little lamb. 
that he's cared for from from birth, from you know when he was a tiny baby, and so it's more of a pet than an actual commercial uh, lamb, perhaps. But he says uh, then this neighbor has all kinds of wealth and all kinds of great sheep and great herds, uh, and uh, time. I forget if he's going to give a banquet or something, but he goes over and, and steals the one lamb that this guy has and uh, kills that one lamb and steals it from this poor guy. And David gets all irate. This is kind of, you know, this uh, uh, <clears throat> this is kind of an insult to his his sense of fairness and rightness. And he says, who is it? I'll go get that guy. And then Nathan put his, like I said, his bony finger in David's face and said, you're the man. Uh-huh. You're the one who did it. Now, I got a You qu- took this man's okay, wife. Now I got a question for you. Why did that make a difference to David personally and in the community of Israel? Well, I'm guessing it's because, now, if I understand correctly, this is about a year after the event, a year after he did this with uh, Uriah's wife, and he had Uriah killed. So about a year's time in span, David had thought he got away with it. I think maybe he felt like he had handled, he kind of had his, uh, what do they call it in, in modern political jargon, uh, his bad news. When bad news surfaces, his bimbo eruption that they send in his committee and they try to clean it all up and polish it off, and mm-hmm. kind of like what Hillary Clinton did for Bill and all, try to cover do you it see up. Any, in your example, do you see the difference between that and David's reaction? Well, yeah, David, at this point, he, he acknowledges it. Well, let me just run through some of the qualities he that we'll find in the life of David. You want to do that when we come back? No, I want to do it now. we got 25 seconds. I can't do it now. <laughs> I thought maybe you'd change your mind. Well, there's that's something to stay, on the, stay with us for that. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about these characteristics, continue with that line of thinking. You can give us a call, 340-9585. If you'd like to ask a question, answer a question, 340-9585. We'll be right back. This is the Bible Live with Sophie Dollar. All right, we are back. Thank you for joining us, the Bible Live, the Quiz Show. Let's get right back to Jacob. We were talking about uh, what, Jacob? We were uh, just went through a few qualities that the Jews have always identified the Messiah should have because of learning from the characters themselves. David being one of the primary guys. Okay. And I'll just say that, look, uh, there's no doubt that God, David's faith in God, his worship of God, was always awesome and complete. Mm-hmm. In fact, even during his most dark and discouraging times, even when he was doing something wrong, and he yeah, like you just, we just made the point that yeah. his response yeah. to the the, uh, yeah, but, the 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 prophet pointed out his sin and he repents, he well, weeps, but, he. But, but that's examples. But I'm talking about the characteristic examples. Okay. So we got the idea of uh, his his devotion to God. And even in his worst times, was complete. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. in dark times, where he did something wrong, 
There was also his humility was really, really always there because, as you say, he was pointed out, he accepted that. He even wrote Psalms uh, referring to himself as a worm and on disgrace and everything. So he did that. So he recognized that. Is this why we get the idea that that he was a man after God's own heart? Is it part of that? I don't know about that. But the other one is, he says, uh, uh, he always became a model of worshiping God and devotion to the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. Um, He always would take uh, a very, very strong, he's a charismatic leader, but he'd take a very strong stance as being a warrior for God and for the nation, but only when they were attacked. Quick question at that point. It wasn't, even his devotion to, to Israel and to the nation, it wasn't entirely. It wasn't just because I was born here. This is my nation. It kind of, kind of, kind of um, ethnocentric uh, patriotism. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that was a part. I mean, these were his people. This was and so on. But it was also because he saw clearly uh, that this people group, Abraham, Isaac, you, you and Jacob, they were no, they were the people ashamed. of the covenant, right? Don't be ashamed. The Jews. Oh, they, yeah, okay, well, I, mean, I guess I, the Jews, the, the yeah. people, they were people of the covenant. In other words, even his devotion to the nation of Israel was an extension of his devotion to to uh, Jehovah, because it was God, yeah. God had called. Yeah, yes, exactly, sure. Okay. I agree with you 100%. Just, just kind of want to make yeah. that point. It wasn't just... Well, that's a great point. I, I would even pause for you to make it again. Oh, <laughs> I won't. But I want to... Now, but let's go back to your example when Nathan points out and says, hey, you're the guy. Okay. So he, on one hand, he was doing something wrong. He became, by these acts of repentance, because if you read the surface level about David... You see these little bad things. That, but why? If they're trying to make him look like a bad guy, why do they tell us these blemishes? Uh-huh. Because they want us to understand something. Ooh, I'm thinking I'm going to like this. No, go ahead if you like. I'm guessing that they want us to understand. So they're wanting to tell us something is being communicated uh-huh. about the nature of God in, in this Messiah, this Redeemer, uh-huh. is not going to come, uh, is not going to be come out of perfect situations. He's yeah. not going to be some idealized magic sort of person that floats two feet above the ground constantly. And he's going to be a, a normal... Is, would that be... Yeah, maybe sure. that, that's a great point. Because I will tell you, there is a rule... But it's not the point you were well, going to make. Well, I'd say it's one of the points. Okay, all okay, right. Because if you look in the Matthew and in the book of Luke and the Christian scriptures, you'll find this genealogy. And in those genealogies, some sordid and unsavory happenings. Uh-huh. Now, Rahab. Even, yeah, but even Ruth. if we accept Jesus from his date of birth, that he was uh, without sin. So, and that is the Christian ideal. So let's accept that. But there is a rule in, in Jewish history that no king can ever be king unless he has something sordid and unsavory in his background. Really? Yes. Now, why? Ask me why. Ask me why. Why? Why? Thank you for asking. I thought you might. It's because he, that way you don't want somebody that's just so perfect and everybody in my family's imperfect. I'm just so much better than you from way back when. We want to be able to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't have everything just perfect in your life and your background either. So it's meant to keep him humble. Is that I'm look I'm thinking of that passage in the book of Hebrews. Well, wait, Hebrew. wait, I want to finish the Okay, of course you did. Okay. You paused though, so okay, I thought but, well. There was a pause, but I got two pauses. <laughs> um, for and, a, uh, only a pause for effectiveness. But the interesting thing is, why would Nathan 
Go and say this to David. Is it he's just going to get David to repent? Which David does. But it's about society. That's what I mean by that. Because if a society does not taught, and I'm going to use the Jewish perspective, let's say the laws of God, of what is right, what's wrong. If the society isn't taught and doesn't appreciate and doesn't support it, the society will then become very flabby, we'll say. And it, and it begins to consider certain behaviors as being acceptable. And then it makes it easier, easier for all the members of that society and even the king to start doing easily more wrong things. That's why it's important that the king must. You know, it's the last law of the 613 is the king of Israel has to write the Torah himself in his own handwriting, and it stays to his right side so that he understands that he is only king, but the laws that he's carrying out is the laws of God. So we have learned, really, that there's something about it's a society knowing. And you brought up the example of Mount Sinai. The society heard God, so they understood the rules. It wasn't just Moses come down and say, hey, I've been visiting with God, my personal friend, this afternoon. So... What you've got is you've got all that going on. So, And if a society doesn't support it, there would have been no point for, okay. da- for Nathan to go to David and say, hey, you need to repent. David had to take that and do it publicly, correct everything in public. And, let's, uh, and that's because the rest of the Jews, at least at that time, were being taught the laws of God. So the society expected certain standards. If we relax those standards, everything becomes flabby, and then lesser and lesser standards exist, and, every, and behavior becomes more expected. Tell us about and it. Is it. Isn't that reason? what we're experiencing a little bit right so now in our own that, country? That's right. And is there any reason why you would be so surprised that you select a leader that does terrible, corrupt things, if you're not selecting a leader that is terrible and corrupt, why are you surprised? So the point is that David is teaching us something else. He's teaching us he can be corrected, so we got something good going. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But we also taught the main lesson from David, and you actually said it a moment ago, and this would be a Jewish thought, uh-huh. is you said... A heart after a God's a man after God's a man heart. after God's own well, heart. What is yeah. that? What's that translate to? Who does that come from? Isn't that a it, yes. isn't that a from the the, the Tanakh? Isn't it, that from it the is, Old Testament? It is. And what that is is David has taught us. He had a fundamental, awesome belief in God. He really didn't know right from wrong. He messed up, but God forgave. And David, as the example to all of us, has taught us hope. Hope of being forgiven by God. So these things that look negative are there so we understand, so we look at this, concentrate on this action, but we don't really concentrate on what took place afterwards. We see the repentance, and the truth is he teaches us hope. Is that possibly a characteristic we should expect to see in, in the, the Messiah? Messiah? Yes. Because, oh, yes, yes. I love that, really, because it... Uh, I, it was. I was kind of making the same point, but without the depth and the background that you're describing here, which is really helpful, is that uh, sometimes we think of Jesus as a Superman, you know, like we think of Clark Kent and Superman. That Jesus, uh, that Clark Kent walks around and uh, because if you ask people, you know, how did Jesus know he was God? How does he know he's the Messiah? And and so on. That's ah, oh, he just knew. Wink, wink. Nod, nod. You know. He just knew, and so he knew that he all the things was going on. But he's 
underneath his toga, underneath his robe, he had this red and blue outfit with a cape and a, and a big red S on his chest. He, he knew he was, he, he looked like Clark Kent, but he was really, really Superman, and he knew it all the time. And I was just telling people that if that were true, then really we, there was no way we could really connect with. There's no way we could identify it with Jesus. Uh, and, and to some degree, even in terms of admiration, uh, what's the great accomplishment if he just, you know, the, he didn't really. But that's not the picture. That's not the right idea of of uh, of the of the Messiah. That's uh, what we call Christology. And you, folks, if you need to correct your Christology and understand that he's not. He's not Kyle. He's not uh, Superman. He's not walking around knowing who. Jesus was entirely and totally a first century Jewish little boy. He was a baby from the time he was a fertilized egg on the wall of Mary's womb to the time he died on the cross and ascended to the Father. Jesus was totally and entirely a first century Jew of his era, of his time. He, he you know, was a little little baby. He pooped. He spit up. He cried. He was right. He. And he came to know. He, parents told him about his background and who he was. Um, he knew his, uh, he was a descendant of David on both sides of his family. Uh, all these things that we look at in the in the Old Testament that Jacob was kind of been pointing out, some of these prophecies and predictions and some of these uh, foreshadowing the shadows of the Messiah, what he'd be like. He became convinced, at least by age 12, that he was indeed that one. And, and, and I, I can't, to some degree, it's hard for me to, Step into what it might have been to carry that burden, to think that you're someone that special and to be convinced. And But he had the patience to wait, trust God, to carry out, you know, God's going to make. And the same. There is some similarity, though, Jacob. We're told, at least in the New Testament, I don't know if there's an old, a Jewish equivalent to this, but we're told that by faith in Messiah, when we place our faith in and the Messiah and his who he was and what he accomplished on our behalf and his sacrifice and his atoning sacrifice, that we are born again, that we've become new people, that we become, uh, you know, that Soapy Dollar, this little Apache Indian orphan, somehow I became a child of the living God, the King of the universe, and I'm connected to God. I'm 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 made right with God. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. My destiny is heaven, and I am a man of of uh, you know of of destiny. God lives with me, walks with me, uses me. And I'm supposed to believe that about me. And I know my weaknesses. I know I'm uh, feet of clay, weak, still struggling along and bumbling along. But I have to live out by faith as well a calling that was far beyond, you know, that that I'm now a child of God. I'm, I'm, I have the Spirit of God within me, and God is working in me, with me, and through me. So I have to live by faith in that. In the same way now, I admire Jesus because I realize that he had to live by faith. He had to walk something out entirely by faith. He, he said, I don't do anything of my own power, my own initiative, my own prerogative. I do only what the God, the Son of Man can do nothing of himself, Jesus said many times, which used to confuse me greatly, by the way. Uh, in the John chapter 5, verse 19, 5, 29, he says I, several times in the opening chapter, I can't do anything of myself, mm-hmm. of my own prerogative, initiative, authority. I only do, I humble myself, I walk under the yoke of okay, faith and now trust. If you enter that in an absolute abstract understanding, you'll always come off with some confusion. Okay. If you use, I'm going to suggest, the Jewish framework such as David, uh-huh. then you'll understand. I can't do it. 
because everything that has been pit- shown us by picture words yes. is this is what David did, what the Messiah must do. So I am fulfilling that picture, that word picture yes. that David did, that he always gives credit to God and not yes. himself. Yes. So then the story, if you do it in the framework of a Jewish understanding, that statement begins to make sense that I am fulfilling this prophecy that you have been taught for yes. centuries about what the Messiah will do because of the example you've been given of David. I get it. I, I really think it's beautiful. I'm, I, I, um, does it relate as well to this idea that uh, Jesus on his cross, they put you know, Jesus in the king of the Jews, and he was mocked to this idea. I mean, there was this idea that he was claiming this, and he kept, my, my king, my, my kingdom is not of this world. He was a spiritual uh, kingdom and so on. But it is, it, wasn't that part of, of some of the actual predictions and prophecies about Messiah? It wasn't one of those titles that he would be the righteous king, the righteous branch. He would be the one who would, uh, although David was a beautiful, Gee, powerful by the way, symbol. That's, that's a great point. David's father in English is like Jesse. Yeshi. Uh-huh. Yeshi. So let's go back. And in Hebrew, one of the meanings, which in this particular case is relevant, is it means we'll use the word stump. Stump. Oh, really? Because isn't and, that something? Well, and when you cut off a, a tree, you have a stump left. Oh, my When man. it makes a new branch, it shoots out. It's called a shoot. Therefore, Dave, again, he's trying to draw in the illustration of David by a play on the names. A stump had a new shoot. I am a branch. Is that what? Isaiah may have been alluding to, and he oh, talked about his stump. I don't stump. know what Isaiah was doing. He was having a very good afternoon. <laughs> a bad day. He had some bad mushrooms or something, but, right? Uh, but, uh, no, but doesn't he talk about a stump and out of, I mean, I'm just, it brought that to my mind right, when you right. said it. Well, it is. I mean, it's all there. So, see, the story's there. So, when he's telling you, if he does something, if I may suggest, and I understand in the Christian world, He's absolutely perfect, and I'm not picking a fight over any of that. Okay, kind of okay, thing, okay, okay. I know you're not. But the what I'm saying is that he, all this stuff he's doing has to be modeled not on just what he's doing, because if you're going to know without the benefit of the New Testament that he is supposed to be the Messiah, then he better be doing what all the Jews were taught that the Messiah must do. And I want to stress this. If I were going to tell you I wanted you to know the characteristics and traits of the Messiah before he came. I can't just make him appear as a big bubble where everybody absorbs it through, uh, what do they call osmosis. Wait, wait. I have to do it by the example of stories and people so you get the traits. Now, here's the danger. Uh, of course, you expect me to be a, a, as a Jewish interpreter. Of course. Now you've got to take the other side of your well, own okay, argument. Okay, so now here's the idea. <laughs> if indeed... We read these stories, and we get a lesson out of them that's different than what the Jewish sages have taught for centuries, for a couple thousand years. Then we're not catching what the lesson is. Now, I'm going to suggest that everything that he was doing, like the stories we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. he was trying to draw attention to exactly what the prophecies, and this is a different sense of prophecy. Are you talking about David now or Yeshua? Uh, Jesus. Jesus, okay. So he's doing everything everything it was supposed to do because the Jews said, okay, the characters we've learned about David, that he sinned, he repented, that he was humble, he accepted correction, he did all that. And then what happens is that 
he does the right thing. Now the question is, if so- was Solomon supposed to be the king of Israel? No, because <laughs> okay. there's actually a place where Solomon writes and says, my mother has crowned me the king of Israel. How could that possibly make sense? Because w- the one thing you can't... Well, that's real politics, right? That's well, kind of what took place it, after okay, David but here's the catch. passed. Uh-huh. So what happens is, the, after you, you can't make it up to a person. Uh, if if they die. if I if you die if I steal from you I can make it up to you personally and I can repent for God for breaking His laws. Uh-huh. Okay. But I got to make it up to you. But if I kill you, I can't ever make it up to you. <laughs> I can't. Okay. Solomon was. Can't you pay your uh, your wife and children and family a great deal of money to kind of make up for him and kill? That's what we Perhaps do in the modern a, times, a, a right? Valuable lesson for a future show. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> the. Uh, the point is, is that what could David do? Right. He can't bring him back. He can't repay him. So Solomon technically probably should have been the son of Uriah. But so he took the most valuable thing he had, the kingship of Israel. And though David is the biological father of Solomon, he gave it to Solomon, who technically was not in line to be the king of Israel. True. Because he can't give it to Uriah because he's killed Uriah. Uriah's dead. Okay. So you got something going on here that you must make up to the person, the family perhaps, and also fix the transgression with God. And and um, and, and, and the one that brought that about sure. <laughs> <laughs> and the one that brought that about you, uh, uh, um, Bathsheba is the one I guess who yeah. brought that about is that what Solomon said? Yeah, my mother has. Well, and he's not saying that she coerced him or threatened him or said, "Gee, you should do this." You know, it's not. David wasn't henpecked. None of that kind. Of, they're not suggesting. He's saying. She's saying. But there well, was some negotiating that took place. There was. At, at the there end was of David's because life. the real conversation that's behind the scenes there is that look, you've done this. How are you going to pay back a life that you have taken? So the only the most valuable thing he had was that kingship. So he had. To, Give it to Solomon, as opposed to who really. And and look at what's happened. Because of that action, and we didn't talk much about it, but Absalom, it's in some of your questions. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, naturally, he resents it. He had it in mind. He's supposed to be the king. But it was David's actions that did it, you see. Now, there's a great book, Richard, by Steinbeck called Absalom, Absalom. It's a great, it's a very thin book, very interesting book. It's written by John Steinbeck. Uh-huh. Anyway. Are you talking about John Steinbeck of the Pearl and uh, th- that famous John Steinbeck? Uh, yes, that famous. How one. about him? Anyway, so uh, writing about theology and well, stuff. he's a very smart man. Uh-huh. Anyway, so he writes in his books called Absalom, Absalom. But when you go back, you look look what David did. His and what did he also teach to his children as a human being? He taught that it was okay to do that. So then Absalom does something, you know, or he has a son that. Uh, oh yeah, after uh-huh. tomorrow, he's uh, he's truly his father's son. <laughs> so what we're yeah, doing yeah. is we're teaching lessons that what now if you look at it negatively, that's there. Yeah. If you look at it positively, we have learned don't do that. Be listen. I'm going to ask you a question. You ready? I am. Do you know? And John, you're the producer. You can get in this if you want. Do you all know ideally what kind of man you would like for a father? Do you can you do you know what you want really as as your father, don't you? Uh hard question for me to answer, but 
Uh, oh, I would so say. Ideally, ideally. Yeah, okay, all right. I'll go with you. Sure, right. sure. I, I, I John, could... you know what you would really like in your parents, what you'd like them to be, right? I kind of know what kind of father I would like to be, but I don't well, know. Well, okay, but that, my point. Uh, Not the same question. Okay, if you don't have any idea, then you can't answer my question. Well, John would know better than me. Okay. What? You don't know what. Well, my point is. Well, this. No, I get it. If you, I know you do, but if you want to be, if you know what you would like in a father, uh-huh. then be that man. That's the point of David. Okay. I got it. I like it. Uh, I, my question was, I, I remember that at, at one point there was a time when Jesus, uh, for example, uh, ran the money changers and the people out of the temple. And it was, it, we've talked about it you know, when we read the Gospels. and it, 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 But it was at that time and in that context, some people said that he was, that was a partially a fulfillment of what you're talking about here, uh, of prediction or prophecy about the character of the Messiah. Would be, he had a, a great zeal for God and for the temple and for, uh, for the house of God, uh, which I, I, su- I assume that was part of the legacy of David as well. He had a great zeal for uh, the temple. He gave a lot of his money, and he, he, he wasn't in himself allowed to build the temple, but his son was and all, Solomon was. So would that be a kind of a picture of that? Is that Jesus, uh, like like you said, the New Testament said that he he showed they had this. Say, he, they were comparing him in, in some way to David, his zeal for the temple, his zeal for the God's people and the kingdom. You know, of God. I would, would like that be to, an example of what? Yes, you're of course, sure. And I'd like to say this, and you know, and we all know, uh, and you know, and you you. In your life, Soapy, and if I may talk to you about, you brought it up, so I feel free. Mm-hmm. But you've had some great problems, and you've overcome them, and you've been a great person, and you've really been a great model for a lot of folks. So even coming from the situation you came from, there is one benefit that we have not really addressed. Do you uh-huh. know what that is? Your mother could have aborted you. <laughs> she true. did not. And it's not the you. first time I've thought of that. Yeah. So you have. She gave you a great gift. She True. gave you life. Yeah. Happily, it was before the era where that was yeah. common, uh, normal, but uh, I suppose it could have been done. Yeah, no yeah, doubt and, about and, it. And I, I'm very, very, it is a dimension of me that very much is appreciates the, the tenderness and the hurt that you probably has experienced growing up. I can't, I, I, I sense that, I can see but that. But what you say, it could have been worse. <laughs> well, you could have been not Yeah, born. it could have been not born. I think not had you life. not been yeah. born, the people you would not have felt. Yeah, yeah. You put on, may I brag on you? Please. You put on the uh, National Day of Prayer. Yeah. You do all that. May you organize year, the, the preachers. You get them to go and tell, tell us. Mm. If you were not here, you would not have that. So... You came from a, a yeah. painful background, but look what you've done with it. Well, I thank the Lord for that, and, and, and thank you very much. That's very kind of. You. But it, it does make, uh, and I think it does make the point, and that each of us, in a way, I, I, I could say the same thing right back at you, Jacob. You, you would just. Is, what is it that Christmas story where wonderful life? You know, if you if you didn't there, if well, there each of us as believers, we have. As followers after God, we have that promise that, yeah, if Jacob hadn't lived, if Jacob hadn't had, if you hadn't had your run and uh, the ups and downs and the battles and the uh, victories and defeats and uh, of your life, 
they're an inspiration to a huge number of people, and you've, you're enlightening us. Now we got the idea of David. Yeah. That's why in the Jewish world, he is considered an enigma, but he is. His greatest lesson to all of us is hope. And what would the Messiah be? Hope. Hope. I like it a lot. Let's answer a question or two before okay. David would right. negotiate peace with Abner and Ishbosheth. He demanded that Saul's daughter, Michal, be returned to him. Nathan was that prophet, and we told the story of the lamb that was stolen from his neighbor. In many songs, Saul, Michael, Absalom, Joab, many people attacked David during his lifetime. See you next week, folks. Thanks for joining us. And it's brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The Bible Live Quiz Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. Also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.